0: It's a day certainly I, when the world stopped turning, as Alan Jackson said. Uh, it's also a day when people ran to God, uh, ran to the church. Um, do you remember where you were at that day? It's kind of one of those days, isn't it? I remember. Aaron and I were leaving the house and turned, had the TV on, and something happened. We didn't really pay much attention to it. Got in the car and we're driving and started hearing it on the radio. She was pregnant. With Spencer, and now I look back you know since that day and uh, just think about how the world has changed. Um, I was on one of the first flights to go to New York after they started flying again and got to go down there to that wall where they were putting up all the notes and stuff. We were still having to wear masks when I went down there just because there was just smoke and dust everywhere. Uh, I had a lot of friends uh, in those buildings, a lot of people that I loved and cared about and worked with and did life together with. Uh, so, world's changed a lot though, hasn't it? Uh, I mean, back in those days, you didn't even really know what terror was. I mean, it seemed like something that was just in a faraway place, and today, it's just kind of a part of life, isn't it? I mean, I think about my kids, they will, uh, they'll never know a world that, you know, where there's not terror. Um, but it's not just terror, right? Our world's changed. It's it's changed a lot of ways. I'm, you know, some maybe for for the good, a lot for the bad, uh. You know, I've never really seen a time when I can remember that there was so much division, so much anger, you know, and, and fear and, and hatred. Um, I was looking today just through some pictures that I saw online of just, you know, just, just the hate that was coming out of, you know, what are good people? You know, I saw one sign that said the, that the GOP is a terrorist organization. You know, it doesn't matter to me whether you're Republican or Democrat, but it feels like we've kind of taken it all too far, <laughs> you know. Uh, when we start saying and doing things that you just kind of see out there um, in the world today, and it's kind of I've been saying since we've been in this series it's, it, it's somewhat ironic, I think, that um, that we're going through the Book of First Corinthians, uh, certainly a a church in Corinth that has, was dealing with a lot of big issues for the time, uh, a lot of division. Uh, also a lot of fear and, and and hate and and anger if you remember paul he talked about it back in the chapter four he he talked about how he was being treated right for for being you know for jesus he said that that we've been treated like what the scum of the world like refuge of all things you know so we know that even in corinth they it was a world where Things weren't good. There was a lot of strife. There was a lot of conflict. There was a lot of division. But, okay, in this chapter we're going to talk about tonight, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, okay, as, as Alan sings about and uh, as Paul writes about, uh, they really seem to imply that the answer to these problems, okay, is love, the answer to these problems is love. He sang about it in the song. You know, I love uh, the words. that I know Jesus and I talk to God. Prayer, right? And I remember this from when I was young. Faith, hope, and love are some good things he gave us. And the greatest is love. All right, it's what Paul writes about here too in chapter 13. If you go to the end of this chapter, that's where uh, that those, those words come from that Alan wrote. They're out of the Bible. They're at the very end of the chapter. And, In verse 13, Paul writes this. He says, so now faith, okay, and remember, this is the faith through which you are saved, okay, faith and hope. Paul has said uh, that that once you become a Christian, you are a living hope. Peter said that, that we are the hope of glory in Christ. Those are some good things, right, faith and hope. We would all agree that those are some really good things. And love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So one thing I want to answer tonight, or maybe two things, is are they right? I mean, are they right is, is love the greatest, and is love the answer? Is love the greatest, and is love the answer? That's two things I want us to look at tonight, and then we're going to deal with some application at the end. So maybe the first thing that we should do when we're trying to answer these questions is maybe we should first think about how we define this love. Because that's important. All right? Because the Greek word for love has four translations uh, in the uh, English language. And I've got a handout on the table there for you if you want to follow along through that. There's four possibilities. Okay? One of them is eros. That would be most associated with this month, Valentine's Day. You can think of that as a love of a husband and a wife. There's porge, which is more of a family, brotherly sister love. Okay, then there's filio, which is a friendship love. Okay, none of those are what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is agape love. Agape love is a sacrificial love. Okay, and it's, it's used in more than 200 Bible verses, including all of what we're talking about here tonight. And I was looking for... A good way to describe it and I found a quote from a great British evangelist named Alan Redpath and he says it means the actual absorption of our very being in one great passion sacrificial and giving love the actual absorption of our very being into one great passion sacrificial and giving love and this is the love that Paul and Alan says is the greatest so why do they say that Well, it tells us, it gives us the answer here in 1 Corinthians. Let's look at verse 8 through 12. It says that love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, Jesus, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, face to face with Christ, then, then, now I know, I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been, known, been fully known. So what he's saying there is, listen. Okay, faith and hope, those are really important things for us right now. But one day when Christ returns and we spend eternity with him, those are going to be needed no more. Those are going to be needed no more. When the perfect, when we come face to face with Christ, our hope and our faith is not what's going to be there through eternity. It's going to be our love. It's going to be the love that's what's going to survive. The love never ends. It goes on and on and on and on. I could also add that, that uh, when you become a Christian, we know, right, that the Holy Spirit resides inside of us. And what does 1 John tell us? It says that God is love. So if you're a Christian, there's love inside of you that never ends because God never ends. He knows no beginning and no end, okay? God is always there. And love is always there. It never, ever ends. Your faith in your life, in the course of your life, it'll come and go sometimes, right? Sometimes you just feel like you have an incredible faith and sometimes you're like, God, give me faith. You're like, man, why is my face so weak? I think about it all the time when I get challenged and tested. And then I have to remind myself of how God always comes through. Hope, you know, your hope may dim sometimes, right? Sometimes it gets really, really dim. And you just feel like there is no hope. So it's going to come up and down throughout your life. But love, God, always there. It never ends. Love God, the love of God is always inside of you. you're a Christian it never leaves you so he's making a point to say it's the greatest because it never ends all these other things are really good and you need them you need faith and you need hope but love it's got a special category that lasts forever all through eternity when you get to be face to face with Jesus so the second thing then to ask ourselves if it's the greatest is it the answer I mean. Could love really be the answer to all these problems? To terror, to this, to the fear, and to the hate, and uh, to all the different things that are wrong with the world today. All of our problems—could it really be? I mean, you know, are we sure? I mean, it's not military. I mean, you know, we can send, we can go fight wars. We, we don't think that's maybe it. I mean, it could be a lot of things, right? It could be laws. We can make more laws to get people to act the right way and to to do the right thing. Maybe it's immigration policy. That's it. That's been something that's been hotly debated over the last week. Maybe immigration policy, whether you're for it, against it, how you want it to turn out. Maybe that's what could make a difference and change. You think so? No, probably not. Probably not rhetoric either. We see lots of that and hear lots of that. Lots of rhetoric out there about what we need to do and how we need to act, you know. But I guess we probably could feel confident in part that it's the answer, right? Because it did form the basis of the two great commandments. What Jesus said, right? That you, to love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So we know it, that he thought, what he thought of love. And then here, in, in this chapter 13, you know, we can, we can also learn, I think, about how important love is and maybe give us a little glimpse of whether or not it's the answer. Look there in verse 1, in the first three verses he, he, he really leads off by, by making this point. It says, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We get lots of noise in my house, by the way. Uh, it's a musical family. I got William running around all the time, banging stuff and hitting stuff. I love it, though. I love listening to it, but, you know, sometimes you just, it's it a little bit much. But it says it's like a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I know everything, basically, and I have all the faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I have nothing. I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and that's an interesting one there. Jarrett and I were having lunch this week, and we were talking about the rich young ruler and whether he actually gave away everything. We don't really know, right? I wonder if this is an indication this is what he's talking about. This is the reference that Paul's making. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's the reference there, but have not love, I gain nothing. I can have faith that moves mountains, but if I don't have love, I have nothing. So I think just on the basis of, of, of the two great commandments and what they're saying here, I think we can we really could be certain that that love, maybe it is the answer. I mean, because faith that move mountain, that sounds pretty good to me. And, and yet, without love, it's meaningless. You can literally change the, the face of the earth. Think about that. You can change the face of the earth. And if you don't love, it's not going to make a difference. It's not going to matter. So then I think we have to ask ourselves, if it is the greatest, and it is the answer, then what? Okay, so then how do we use it? I mean, you know, isn't the next thing is to, you know, give me a model and then show me how? I mean, what does it look like? Because maybe that's really important, right? What does it look like? And then how do we use it? All right, what does it look like and how do we use it? And I've struggled with this. This was where I spent all of my struggling this week and, and just trying to think through what this means because there's lots of, lots of discussion about love out there right now. I mean, it's all over. It's dominating the headlines. It's dominating the media. Is love. It really is. If you just look beyond all the words, you'll see that the, the message, a lot of it is love, love, love. I saw where uh, at, at one of the rallies in D.C. where Madonna spoke. Okay? She said some things that made people upset. And then she came back and she wrote uh, a, 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 a post, I think it was. I saw it in a newspaper article. That where she was talking about, you know, she was explaining herself. And this is what she said. She said, Yesterday's rally was an amazing and beautiful experience. However, I want to clarify some very important things. I'm not a violent person. I do not promote violence. And it's important people hear and understand my speech in its entirety, rather than one phrase taken wildly out of context. My speech began with, I want to start a revolution of love. I then go on to encourage women and all marginalized people to not fall into despair, but rather to come together and use it as a starting point for unity and to create positive change in the world. I spoke in metaphor and shared two ways of looking at things. One was to be hopeful, and one was to feel anger and outrage, which I have felt personally. However, I know that acting out of anger doesn't solve anything, and the only way to change things for the better is to do it with love. It was truly an honor to be a part of an audience chanting, chanting, We Choose Love. So a question I had when I read this is, is this what love looks like? It's a legitimate question. I mean, when I read that, and if I didn't know the context, it sounds great to me, really. It's kind of inspiring, actually. She wants to start a revolution of love. It sounds great. It really does. I mean, but is this is this the the, the love that as she says, will change the world? I mean, that's the real question. Is this the love that would change the world? What about this one? I've got Spencer to play another video for me. See if this is something you think is the love we're talking about. is that awesome? Interstate Battery and I Am Second. They're making these commercials. This is an Interstate Battery commercial. Somebody sent this to me in my office. They said, this has nothing to do with batteries. It uh, has to do with love. I mean, is that it? I mean, I, I kind of like the guy that coming home, though, and the kids and everybody killing themselves. I need a little bit of that. I need, like, something I can spray out through the door. Because sometimes I sit out in the car and I'm like, I don't know if I really want to go in. I, I kind of know what's about to happen. I'm just going to sit here for a little while and uh, decompress. So, but my question is, what does love look like? It can be very confusing, right? I mean, it can be very confusing as to what love looks like. Well, let me tell you, it looks like Jesus. That's what love looks like. It looks like Jesus. The only love that will change the world is one that looks like Jesus. And that's what these middle verses here, in verses 4 through 7, um, in fact, I'm going to read them, but I'll go back and read them because one of the things this is kind of a cool exercise that, that people will do is, is where it says love, they exchange it for Jesus and read it that way. It says love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, believes in God. That's what it means there, believes in God. It hopes. It's a hope founded in God. Hopes all things. and endures all things. And you can take that same thing and you can say Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It's about Jesus. You can teach it in entire series just on those three verses right there and talking about really what love is about like I said I've been thinking about this like crazy this week just really trying to to get my head around what's going on out there in the world because I mean if you look at it the rallying cry from so many people in our country that just feel so hurt I mean really just hurt I mean their rallying cry is love I mean in fact you know, there's a whole bunch of people out there that would look at the evangelical Christian and they knock on us and say, you're not about love. You're judgmental and, and, and you know, and you're, you're not about love. Okay, you're, you're hate-filled. Hate-filled. I mean, go read um, Franklin Graham's social media and you'll see what I'm talking about. They think he's the Antichrist. All right? I mean, they just destroy him. And they're talking about love. And, it, and if you look at it, it looks good. On the surface, it looks really good what they're doing. And I start wondering, like, where's the disconnect? Why is this such a disconnect? I mean, are they not seeing 4 through 6 there or 4 through 7 in Christians? Are they not seeing us live that out? Is that why they think this? Probably. I mean, that's probably a lot of it, right? I mean, I wonder if we're really living that out every day. I mean, because there's got to be a disconnect somewhere, isn't there? I mean, a lot of it falls on us, I think. A lot of it falls on us. I really believe that. But I'll also say, listen, some of what they believe to be love isn't really love. Okay? Because a lot of what it's about is really doing what you want. Kind of setting your own standards. And that's not what this love is about. Okay, so this love that we're talking about, this agape love in chapter thirteen, it's, it's not really about freedom. It's not really about freedom of choice. That's not really what we're talking about. It's not about getting to do whatever it is you want to do. It's not even really about being accepted, to be honest with you. It's not even really about peace. It may be surprising, isn't it? It's not really about peace. I mean, Jesus said, "I didn't come to bring peace; I came to bring the sword." In Matthew 10, 34, that word sore there is, is Greek, and the Greek word there is, is, is the same Greek word used in Ephesians, chapter 6, in the armor of God. It's the word. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring the word. I came to bring the word of God. That's what it's about. It's about truth and love, isn't it? It's not just about whatever you want. You don't get to just, you know, to love somebody isn't just to say, you can do whatever it is you want. You get to make up the rules and set the standards. That's not it at all. Love is coupled with truth. But I'll tell you what, for a whole bunch of Christians out there, I'll tell you also what it's not. It's not truth wrapped in agenda either. All right? It's not truth wrapped in agenda. Because that's, that's, that's the truth that a lot of people are speaking. It's not truth wrapped in agenda. It's about Jesus. goes back to that. This love is about Jesus. Repeat after me. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. I could also add it's about the Bible, and it's about the gospel. I could, I could talk a long time about love and the gospel, because I'm going to tell you, you cannot separate godly love from the gospel. It cannot be done. You can love somebody 24 hours a day, seven days a week, with all you got and all the agape love in the world, and if they die and go to hell, it will not matter. It won't matter. It will not matter. You got to remember, one great way to judge all the different loves that are out there. Okay, one great way. True, sacrificial, godly love always, 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 always points people to Jesus. Always. There's no other love that, that this Bible is talking about. It's all pointing to Christ. Okay, it's all about Jesus. That's also the answer to my second question about how do we do it? How do we show it? That too is about Jesus. Because there's only one way. Before you can love the way Paul describes, this this sacrificial agape love, you must first love Jesus with all your heart, mind, and soul. The first commandment is the answer to the second. You'll never love others in a way that will change the world unless you first love Christ with all your heart, mind, and soul. And listen, I'm not talking about just showing up to Bible fellowship and going to church and reading your Bible. I'm I'm not talking about anything. I'm talking about with all of your heart, mind, and soul. All of it. Are we ready for that? I mean, because maybe that's part of the problem. The reason we're not seeing four through seven played out is we're not loving God with all of our heart, mind, and soul. I mean, that could be the problem, don't you think? Listen to what Francis Chan, I love Francis Chan. Look at what he wrote in his book, Crazy Love. He says, Most Christians have been taught in church or by their parents to set aside a daily time for prayer and scripture reading. It's what we are supposed to do. And so for a long time, it's what I valiantly attempted. When I didn't, I felt guilty. Over time, I realized that when we love God, we naturally run to Him, frequently and zealously. Jesus didn't command that we have a regular time with Him each day. Rather, He tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He called, uh, he called this the first and greatest commandment. We, we love okay because of what Christ did for us. All right, We love with this passion that Francis talks about and when we love others properly because of what Christ did. It just flows out of the abundance of, of that love when you really set your sights and your love on Christ. If, that's, if that describes you, you'll do anything. I mean, anything to lead people and to point them to Jesus. Anything. And that anything starts with love. It really does. It's where our salvation started. Agape love for God so loved the world. That's where it started. And this obsessed Christian one that gives all to God. Listen to what Francis says about that. That's a person that loves their enemies, isn't consumed with personal safety or money, doesn't consider serving a burden. That's a good one, huh? Doesn't consider serving a burden. Too many times we believe it's, you know, it's a burden on our lives, not a, not a joy like it should be. Is a giver and not a taker. It's characterized by committed, settled, passionate love for God. And I love this last part. Above and before every other thing and every other being. Above and before every other thing and every other being. Can we say that? I'm mean, out to ask myself that question all the time. Just going through my week. Am I living that out? I mean, would you look at my life every day and say, hey, that guy loves God with all of his heart, mind, and soul. And he puts it before everything else. Before my kids, before my wife, before my job everything and that's what it's calling for you know i say it all the time if if christ is your only priority then you'll have no problem loving your wife as christ loved the church right if christ is your only priority you'll have no problem raising your kid in the ways of the lord you just won't but the problem is we miss out on that we break down so i yeah, i wonder is it possible Yeah, only with God, though. The one that gave you the love must also help you spread it. There's no other way. And the great thing about it is, is everybody in this room can make a huge difference. Everybody in this room can do amazing things to to get rid of that evil and this fear and this hatred and this anger. Everybody can spread this agape love that points people to Jesus. Even the smallest acts I saw a quote from Christine Kane that says, never underestimate what one small demonstration of God's love could do for someone. I had the privilege of uh, going to a funeral. And I say privilege because it was a privilege of, of a man by the name of Richard Perry Ellis. And Perry Ellis uh, was the father of two of my very dear friends, Johnson Ellis and Richard Ellis. And... It was maybe the most moving, convicting funeral I've ever been to in my life. And uh, I wanted to just read a little bit about his life. It's this much, so bear with me, but I promise it's worth it. It's an amazing man. He said, Dr. Uh, Richard Perry Ellis uh, was 84 years old of Louisville, Texas. A beloved father, Dada, is what they called him. He was a noted Southern Baptist pastor, a missionary evangelist to Brazil, He was an accomplished soloist, worship leader, Christian recording artist. Passed away in his home in Louisville. He was reunited for eternity with his wife, Robbie, of almost 50 years. Says he had a great Texas heritage. He was born in San Antonio in 1932. He was named after his cousin, who was the first president of the Republic of Texas. He spent his formative years in Virginia where his father was a distinguished Navy chaplain. During his undergraduate studies at several universities, he was very active in extracurricular activities, including playing basketball, running track, he participated in the national forensic tournaments in various choirs, leading in Baptist Student Union and Literary Society, and serving in student mission ministry while pastoring a church on the weekends. After attending Mars Hill University in North Carolina, he went on to obtain a degree from Baylor Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, He did further graduate at Temple. He was a research scholar in Oxford. He was on the rowing team while doing a study on the influence of American evangelists in Great Britain during the 19th century. He spoke Portuguese, Spanish, French, Greek, and Hebrew. He was a preacher from the age of 16. He was ordained as a Baptist minister in 1952. He served as a pastor of various churches all over the United States. There's too many for me to list. Early in his career, he formed a youth revival team that led meetings and concerts across America and would eventually preach more than 1,000 evangelistic crusades around the world, including the major cities of Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, England, and Brazil. Major Brazilian network televised the entire uh, state of 27 million people, the final service of the Perry Ellis Sao Paulo crusade. He was uh, well-known in the Baptist circles He was a director of evangelism for the Baptist Association in Florida, uh, Virginia, D.C., Kentucky, Missouri, Maryland, Indiana. I could just keep going on. He was a giant man, six feet nine. Um, When he was in Sao Paulo, he he actually led uh, one of the Billy Graham Crusades. He was gifted with a booming tenor voice. He was a Christian recording artist uh, with Westminster Orchestra. The London Emmanuel Choir and RCA Studios was a guest soloist in concert at Robert Albert Hall in London and other venues in Hong Kong, China, India, France, and the Billy Gray on sponsored creates throughout the United States. And after he came home to retire in Texas, he became an executive director of the Texas Baptist Conservatives. He taught the weekly Bible class at First Baptist Church of Dallas. He continued to go on preaching missions in Hong Kong, Norway, Brazil, Kenya, France, Portugal, Central America, and India. Conducted Bible tours to Europe and the Holy Land. He also weekly television and radio broadcasts in the United States and Portuguese and Brazil over Trans World Radio. Following the unsuccessful run at the U.S. Congress, he had one thing he failed at, <laughs> Dr. Ellis functioned as a precinct chair for the Denton County Republicans of Texas and became active in civic affairs through the Rotary and And uh, other clubs. I mean, that's impressive, right? I I was so depressed after this. I thought I hadn't done anything with my life. (laughs) I mean, it was really, I mean, it was like I was sitting there thinking, holy moly, are they ever going to stop going through all of this? But I'm going to tell you, all of that, you know what impressed me the most? You know what I remember the most? And what I've been going around telling everybody about is his grandson got up there and was talking about his dad all. And he said, you know, of all the things that my grandfather had done a lot of them i didn't get to witness he said but i'll tell you this for the last two months of his life he was preparing a sermon to preach at the retirement home where he lived right on christmas for two people he prepared two months to preach a sermon to two people that is what i remember about perry ellis one guy giving his life to God, loving him with all, all of his heart, all of his mind, and his soul. Literally millions of people around the world know Christ because of him. And at the end, all that mattered is two people in his retirement home that he could impact for the glory of God. It's an amazing story, isn't it? That's what I remember. All these other things, I had to read it to you. What I just told you wasn't on there. That's what I remember. And we all can do that. Sometimes we don't think we can, you know. Sometimes we limit ourselves. I don't know what it looks like for you. I mean, Matt talked about it a little bit last week when he was talking about our spiritual gifts. Uh, over in, verse, in chapter 12 and 4 through 6, it says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but it's the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. I love that. Who empowers them all in everyone. When I was researching this, I saw an article that said, and we love this way, it gives us a certain amount of power we must not take for granted. It's that power he's talking about. It means we are obligated to tell people the truth with gentle, kind communication, without judgment, and with steadfastness. As for Christians, we have a responsibility to express our love daily into the lives of others. You've got a power inside of you, the Holy Spirit. You never know if this is going to be you. I guarantee you, at 16, he didn't know that he was going to do all of this. Right? Took one step forward, letting God lead him. Equipped him. All of us are equipped to do something powerful and special that can change that, that horror that we saw when we started the class. You know, when I think about god using the unlikely uh he'll appreciate me saying this i think of neil jeffries you know i don't go to men's bible on friday very often but i did Uh, a couple of weeks ago and neil was speaking and what he said just stuck out in my mind for some reason i wrote it down he said i am nothing special i have limited mind and a stuttering mouth if you don't know neil he's a stutterer he was a great baylor football player been stuttering his whole life and For the last 30-plus years, he's been preaching the gospel as a stutterer. He said, I am nothing special. I have a limited mind and a stuttering mouth, but I have a loving heart. He said that's what he likes the most about himself. I have a limited mind and a stuttering mouth, but I have a loving heart. Let me tell you what. If that's all you have is a loving heart for God and for people, one that will sacrifice all for the soul of another, then you have everything. You have everything. It is those folks, I promise you, that will get rid of this terror and this fear and this anger that will bridge this gap that is so, so divisive in our country. And it is these folks that has this loving heart, like it talks about here, those are the people that are going to change the world. Amen? Amen? All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the way you love us. God, I am uh, so grateful, Lord, for, for you sending your son to die on that cross so that all of us may have your love inside of us. Lord, God, I pray that for each person in this room, Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us direct our, our, our all towards you, Lord. I pray, God, that, that we would set aside anything in our life Lord, that might get in the way, that might come between us and you, Lord. I pray, God, that we would, you just clear it out of our minds, clear it out of our, our hearts, Lord, so that we can focus all of our heart, mind, and soul on you. And Lord, I pray that you would just give us a burden for loving others and this sacrificial love that Paul talks about. God, so much wrong with our world today, so much division and fear and hate and anger. But God, I know because your word says so, that that true agape, sacrificial, godly love can change that. Love that points people to Jesus. So, Lord, in all that we do, God, I pray that we're loving people. I pray that we're loving them the way Jesus would love them. And I pray that, that at the end of the day, God, we're pointing them to you. Lord, I pray, Lord, for everybody here as we go out of this room, God, I pray that you'll bless them, that you'll protect them. Or where they need favor, I pray that you would give it to them, Lord. And we just thank you for this special night. In Jesus' name, amen.